Well, good morning. All the kids are taking off and everybody else is sitting patiently and resisting the temptation to go with them, aren't you? Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning and um, I'm an associate minister out at Ellettsville, Ellettsville Christian Church. I heard you had Chuck here last week, worked with Chuck for a while out at Ellettsville, so glad that you guys had him. And, and um, my wife was here for first service. But she's running the Christmas pageant out there, so she was she had to get back over there for practice. So we were uh, our kids. Uh, we I told the first service we uh, we snuck out of Thanksgiving without our kids this weekend. So we were without kids for a couple of days, but they found out and they're coming back this week or today, I guess. Uh, so we were without kids this weekend, so they they didn't come either. But uh, well, I'm glad to be here this morning and uh, to be able to preach for you and uh, bring bring a message. I I, uh, I just really relate to. Um, uh, I, I love when, when I read Jesus' words, sometimes they're just so simple to understand because he speaks in a, in a, in a way that, that just resonates. And uh, one of the ways that he spoke often was through parables. And, and I love reading the parables of Jesus. Jesus often used parables as part of his teaching. And uh, a, parable, a parable is a simple story that illustrates a spiritual lesson. Or uh, maybe a better way to put that, a parable is an earthly story with, with a heavenly meaning behind it. And, and I love reading the parables of Jesus. And sometimes those parables are very, very easy to understand the point that Jesus was trying to make. And then sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's very difficult to understand what, what he's talking about. In fact, there, there are times when Jesus would tell one of his parables and even his own disciples wouldn't have a clue what he was talking about. They didn't, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a story of a farmer. And that farmer's scattering some seeds. And, and some of the seed fell on a footpath, and some fell among the rocks, and, and, and some fell among the thorns, and some fell on the fertile soil. And, and Luke mentions, right after Jesus taught this parable, Luke says this in, his, in chapter 8. He says, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Because that's a weird story. Why'd you tell us that? Why'd you tell us that, Jesus? Matthew records the same story. Uh, and, and the same conversation, but he highlights a different question uh, of the of disciples, or another question of the disciples. Matthew points out that they asked Jesus, why do you use parables? Why do you use parables when you talk to people? Why do you do it? And Jesus has an interesting response, one that I think is probably for another sermon, another time. But ba- basically what Jesus says, uh, he tells them that those who listen will gain more understanding about the kingdom of God. But to those who aren't listening, even what little understanding they did have about the kingdom of God will be taken from them. So did everybody understand parables? No, no, not everybody understood them. In chapter four of his gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, Jesus never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them, uh, verses 33 and 34. So while, uh, while parables are a simple story, uh, sometimes they have a bit of mystery to them as well. And, and this morning, what I want to do is I want to share one of these parables with you. And I think it's a pretty straightforward one. Uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7, uh, we're going to go there. I think Dan's going to put it up on the screen there for me as well. I forgot my PowerPoint this morning. You have to bear with me. But we're going to dig into that. And, and actually, this hits on a topic I think a lot of Americans... Uh, uh, including myself, can really relate with. A couple of years ago, I read this report. It blew my mind. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read this report. And it says the average household who carried credit card debt, now that it's, it's hitting home, you got debt, credit card debt. The average household who carried credit card debt 
average, uh, the average amount for those households was over $15,000. I can't imagine that amount. Maybe we can't relate to that amount, but, but I think that a lot, as, as, as Americans, most of us probably hold some kind uh, of debt. And if, if that describes you, uh, you're carrying some kind of debt, you know what that burden of debt feels like. Um, I'm thankful I got the chance to go to college. I'm thankful I got to earn a degree, but I'm still paying on that a little bit. Uh, I'm thankful that I have a dependable car to drive my family around in, to get them to school and the doctor and the church and to see grandparents. But it'll be great when we don't have to pay for that anymore, right? And you guys know what that feels like. Uh, so, so you know what the, that burden feels like. But on the other hand, you also know what relief you feel when that final payment is made, right? Uh, last year, we got to experience the pure joy and i heard angels singing when i walked into the bank and i sat down the last bit of money on a, on a car payment that we had and and you just feel free after that you just feel free uh when when you don't owe that debt and, and i asked for a service and imagine for a moment you go home uh tomorrow after work or you go out to the mailbox tomorrow and you got a, a letter in the mail from your mortgage company i don't know your mortgage company mine's named penny mac and if you got a letter from your mortgage company you opened it up and it said it's on us. House is paid for. Debt's forgiven. Enjoy the home. Right? I'd have a new best friend named Penny. Right? I mean, that's, <laughs> because that's a huge, huge relief. Well, in this parable this morning, Jesus kind of makes the same point. And our parable this morning is found right in the middle of another story. So in order to get there, we're going to have to read the story to, to better understand the context. Uh, you know what? I think my, my, my version is different, so I'm going to read from up here with you. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, my version calls her the immoral, an immoral woman, called her an immoral woman, is what the version here ta- uh, names her as. No name, just immoral woman. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now notice that he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, That, that she is a sinner. Then Jesus answered him. He said it to himself, but Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. So we're getting into the parable now. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii or 500 pieces of silver and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Go back one more. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together and we'll unpack this a little bit more this morning. Father, we're ready to learn from you this morning. We're ready to hear from you. We're ready to dive into this, this, this scripture, uh, looking at uh, the, the parable of the unequal debts. And, and we just pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So we read that story and we find uh, three, three main characters and, and really two, if, if you don't count Jesus, who's the teller of the story. You have Simon. Simon's a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was, was a teacher of religious law. He was, uh, would have held a strict observance of tradition, a strict observance of Old Testament law, uh, usually thought pretty highly of themselves, Pharisees did. Uh, they had this superior, righteous, holier-than-thou attitude uh, when around others. And, and Pharisees, Pharisees, if you read the Gospels, Pharisees made it a point to challenge Jesus at just about every turn. Every time Jesus was turning around, there was a Pharisee calling him out on, on something that he was teaching. So you have Simon the Pharisee, and you have this woman, Luke, like I said, in, my, in, in the New Living Translations, the, the, the version I had earlier, uh, calls her a certain immoral woman. Now, how would you like your only really a real appearance in the Bible? No one writes down your name. They just call you the certain, that's, that's the immoral woman. That, that's what they call her. Nobody, nobody took the time to you know, write down who she was. That was just the immoral woman. Let's look at the differences in, in these two people. Simon, like I said, he was a Pharisee. He was a strict, strict observer of the law. Uh, Simon would have viewed himself as good. He would have viewed himself as holy, as righteous. And this woman, she had the reputation of being a sinner. She probably uh, was a prostitute. She, she had this reputation of being uh, an immoral woman, a, a sinner. And while Simon would have viewed himself as good, she would have known very well that she was a sinner. People told her all the time. She was well aware that she was not good. Um, she was aware of her sin. Simon, now remember Simon the Pharisee. The, Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. Uh, now you need to put yourself in their shoes. They know the law. They've lived the law. They know the prophecies about a coming Messiah, but they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe that at all. And so uh, when Jesus would equate himself with God or he would forgive sins, as, as he just said, uh, who is this that forgives sins? They would call him a blasphemer. They would accuse him of, of, of sacrilegious talk. And, and the book of Luke, uh, I did some research here in the book of Luke. Jesus was baptized in chapter three. In chapter 4, the Pharisees are trying to figure out a way to take him, take him out. They do it in chapter 5. They do it in chapter 6. And now we're in chapter 7, and, and the story takes place, and Simon uh, has this bias because he's a part of a group that doesn't really like Jesus, doesn't really uh, care for him very much, doesn't like what he's saying. But Simon's also a bit curious about what Jesus has to say, so he invites him to dinner. But he does so with some hesitations. We see Jesus calling him out on these uh, hesitations in, verses, in, in verse 44 and following. Simon neglected some common courtesies given to, to visitors in your home in that, in that day. He, he didn't have his servants wash Jesus' dusty feet or even offer water for Jesus to do it himself. He didn't greet him with a kiss. And that might sound odd for us. We don't, we don't typically greet people with a kiss when they come into our home. But even today in, in that culture, they do. They, they, uh, both sides of the cheek and, and they would greet them with a kiss. And, uh, very normal. Simon, Simon didn't offer that to Jesus. 
Simon didn't anoint his head with olive oil, anoint Jesus' head with olive oil, and that may have not been a common courtesy, but it's certainly a way of honoring a respected guest in the home. Simon didn't do any of this. Simon neglected Jesus. But this woman, this woman, however, washed his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. Simon didn't greet Jesus with a kiss, but this woman, Jesus said, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon didn't anoint the head of Jesus with oil, but this woman brought in this expensive perfume, so much more costly than, this, than, than oil, and she rubbed it on his feet. And as you look at the differences in these two individuals, they really couldn't be more different, could they? Very different people. And then when you look at deeper at, the, at, the actions, uh, at their actions, Simon saw himself as good. Simon saw himself as righteous. He saw her as a sinner. And if we're really honest with ourselves, don't we do that? Don't we do that sometimes? I go to church most weeks, right? I treat people with respect. I treat people well. I give to the church. I, I tithe and, and I know the Bible. But that person, they're a sinner. We do that, maybe subconsciously, but we do that. If they came to church, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, during Sunday school, they had the conversation of, you know, we're going to get to heaven one day and there's going to be someone there. And you're like, didn't expect to see you here, you know. Uh, there are going to be those. If they came to church, oh my goodness. Have you ever thought that your sin is, uh, is less sinful than others? I went to Johnson Bible College back in... Uh, 2001, Johnson Bible College, Knoxville, Tennessee. As I got to know some of the other students and we started to, to talk and get to know each other and I got to hear some of their stories and uh, their story of how they came to know Jesus. Some of them were, were pretty rough. You know, uh, Jesus saving them from, from drug addictions and violence. And, and I'm over here like, you know, one time in junior high, I put a thumbtack in my friend's chair at school and saw, saw how, jump, how high he could jump out of the chair, right? Got kicked out of school for a day. That's my story, right? That's, that's all I did, you know, that's... That's it. That's a true story, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but as I heard these stories of people turning from their sinful past, I felt really, you know, boring. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any of that. And, but also, I think maybe I felt a little righteous. Well, my sin's not as big as their sin. Um, I had this thought that my sin was just a small sin. And have you ever felt like that? Like, like I, I didn't really do anything that bad. My sin's a very small Sin. You feel like your sins are minor when you compare to others or, or those that you're seeing on the news lately. I saw, you, you all saw this week uh, in the news, Charles Manson passed away. And you know who Charles Manson is. Uh, unless you're, you're real young, you may not know. But, uh, but, but I was born after all that happened, and, and I know who he is. He, he was a mass murderer. He was, he was a bad guy. Even murderers look at Charles Manson and say, that was a bad guy. But is my sin any less than his? Well, if we assume that, I think maybe that's a wrong assumption because Paul wrote to the Romans and when he wrote to the Romans, he said that everyone has sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And then James, who is Jesus' half-brother, he added to that by writing, for the person, and I want you to hear this, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. A person who keeps all of God's laws except for one is as guilty as someone who breaks all of God's laws. 
I've heard it said that viewing sin is like viewing skyscrapers. You know, when we go to New York City or Chicago and we see the, we see the buildings, we can look and say, well, that one's taller, that one's bigger, that one's smaller, that one's you know, not nearly as big, but that one's huge. And, but when God looks down and sees the skyscrapers, they all kind of look the same to him. He just sees the top of the buildings. And if we looked at sin that way, I think, I think that, that can relate. Because if we look at that person's sin, that's a lot of sin, that's not much sin. You know, uh, but God looks at sin and sin is sin. If you're guilty of breaking one of God's laws, you're guilty, uh, as guilty as a person who breaks all of God's laws. So while we look at Simon and we look at this immoral woman, um, and we see that they couldn't be more different, in reality, they're very much the same. They're very much the same. Jesus uses this parable to say, Simon, from your perspective, who is more thankful for their debt being forgiven? And Simon does the math. He says, well, 500 is greater than 50. So I would, I would assume that the one with you know, the larger debt would be more grateful. But the subtle point that Jesus is making here is that they're both in debt. They're both in debt. He loaned 500 pieces of silver to one. He loaned 50 to the other. And neither of them could repay it. They're both in debt. They're both in debt. We may, we may do the math and we may say, you know, I think sexual immorality is probably greater than pride. But what we see in Scripture is that sin is sin. And if, you're, if, if you keep all of God's laws except for one, you're as guilty as someone who's broken all of God's laws. So we see that all sin is, is equal in God's eyes. And we see that, that we've all sinned and we've, we, we've fallen short of God's standards. So what do we do with that? If we're sinners... And, 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 and all sin is equal, what do we do with that? Well, this morning, what I want to do as we uh, move into, you know, not really closing, but as getting into the heart of this, but uh, just to remind us of, of two truths that we find in this parable. Two truths that we find as a result uh, of this parable. So the first one is this. This parable serves as a great reminder that we owe a debt that we can't repay. We all owe a debt that we, we can't repay. This is where we find the, uh, the two borrowers in the story, Jesus told Simon. Neither of the borrowers could repay the lender. Regardless of how little the money was or how much the money was, the cost was, they just didn't have the means to repay what they owed. Now, I, I may feel boring when it comes to some of that uh, conversion stories I was talking about earlier, and, and you may be feeling as you know a little bit boring compared to some of you've heard, or you maybe you're in the other, maybe you're in the 500 pieces of silver uh, category, and you have this sin that you've just been, man, that was that was so bad. You know, listen, I, I may feel boring, but I want to be very clear that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and, and truth be told, I don't know you very well, uh, if at all. I'm going to go on a limb and say you're a sinner too. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We've all fallen short of God's standards. The words I speak aren't always beneficial to other people. The thoughts I have aren't always good thoughts about others. They're not very nice sometimes. I'm a sinner. And you are too. Eugene Peterson, who helped to paraphrase the Bible in the message version. You're familiar with the message? Eugene Peterson put that together, and he's an author, and he says this. He said, every congregation is a congregation of sinners. We can agree with that. And if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. It's the truth. 
And this morning, we are a church full of sinners. Let's just, let's just admit that. Every single one of us, we owe a debt that we can't repay. We all owe this debt that we can't repay on our own. And Paul is clear on this in Romans chapter 3. He's quoting a psalm when he writes it, but he says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one does good, not, not a single one. And because no one's righteous, because no one does good, God gave Moses this, this set of laws in the Old Testament. And the set of laws was designed for people to follow them in order to do good, in order to avoid doing evil. But people took this law and they became so legalistic about it. People took this law and they no longer lived for God, but instead they lived for, for the law. They lived to match up to the law. They put their faith not in God, but in the law. This law was their way out. This law was their salvation. This law was, was how they made things right. They thought by doing all the, all, all the things the law said to do, now their sins are covered. They could do it now. I, I, I may, maybe you're a history buff. And, and uh, you know about this uh, Auschwitz. Auschwitz is a former uh, Nazi concentration camp in, in Poland. And it was at that camp during World War II that, that the Nazis murdered and and housed in uh, countless Jews from all over Europe. And it's said that between Auschwitz and, and, and the joint camp of Birkenau, over one million Jews were gassed to death during the Holocaust. But on the middle gate in front of the entrance to Auschwitz was the German words, and, and I, I mispronounced it earlier, and I'm going to probably do it again, but uh, it's Arbit Machfri. Arbit Machfri. When you translate that to English, it says, work will make you free. And the Nazis put this sign up to convince the prisoners, to convince the Jews, into believing that if they worked hard enough, that they'd be set free. And because of that belief that they had what it took to be set free, many of the Jews bought into the slogan. Many of the Jews literally broke their backs trying to impress the Nazi soldiers and in turn buy their own freedom from this camp. But we know the history of that. that. That was never the case. And that sums up what happened with the law. People were no longer living for God. They were living for the law because now they had what it took. Now they had what it took. They could be good enough. And this continued until the, the law just became a tradition for them. Rules to follow. Uh, following the law to a T is what made Pharisees feel so great about themselves. Following the law to a T is what made Simon the Pharisee be able to say... She's a sinner, but look at me. You know, I, I'm a Pharisee. But later in Scripture, we read that the law of Moses was unable to save us. The law of Moses was not meant to save us, and it was unable to save us because our flesh is too weak to save itself. We're going to break the law. Or our flesh is too weak to save itself. There, there's got to be something else. There has to be another way outside of just this, this law. And since this law can't save us, we're back to our reminder that we, we're left with a debt that, that we can't repay on our own. We're left with a debt that we can't repay, but the good news is our debt is canceled when we follow Jesus. We, we have a debt that we can't repay, but our debt is canceled when we follow Jesus. Simon neglected Jesus in our story this morning. He thought the sin was covered because he's been following the law. 
But this woman, this woman chased after Jesus. She was, she was well aware of the sin in her life. People reminded her daily, I'm sure. She was well aware of her need to be forgiven. And so Luke tells us that she knelt behind him at his feet, just, just weeping. Weeping so much that her tears fell to his feet. He goes on to tell us that, his, uh, that this prompted her to, to let down her hair. To wipe her tears from his feet. Now, now a woman in that culture who would even just let down her hair like that, that was scandalous. And really, someone who would just let down their hair like that, that could have been grounds for a husband to divorce his wife. But she didn't care. She, she couldn't care less. She wasn't there to follow the law. She was there to praise the one who paid her debt for her. She said, who cares about what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to behave? I'm going to let my hair down. I'm going to put this expensive perfume and, and I'm going to kiss Jesus' feet. Being forgiven drove her to worship him. And he turned to her and he said those beautiful words, soul-saving words, your sins are forgiven. And they're only forgiven because of the cross. They're only forgiven because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. They're only forgiven because Jesus paid the price for our debt. Nothing's free. And our debts are canceled, but nothing's free. Jesus paid the price for that. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son, and He forgave our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, uh, God says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And then Psalm 103 says that he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, we have a debt we can't repay. But we have a Savior who can. We have a Savior who did repay that for us. Our debt, our our sin uh, is canceled when we follow Jesus. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk today. Maybe your first... You're taking your first steps. You're, you're, you're a baby. Uh, you're, you're, you're coming into this Christian thing brand new. And you're, you're brand new to this. And, and, and you're testing the waters. Or, or maybe you've been following Jesus for 50 years. I don't know where you are, but I know this much is true. Each of us have a next, a next step. Each of us has a next step. We're never done. We're never done. Until God takes us home, we are never done. I don't know how you normally uh, uh, do invitation here. I kind of got a glimpse of it first service, but there, I, I know there's people in this room right now this morning who who have uh, have a debt in their life they can't repay. And maybe maybe it's a 500 pieces of silver sin, or maybe it's a 50 pieces of silver sin. But all sins equal in God's eyes, and He wants to take it off your hands. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to have the worship team come on up and, and lead us in a, an invitation song. And you can move that back up. I know I moved it for you. Uh, but they're going to lead us in an invitation song. And I don't want you to leave the building this morning if you have a debt that's easily forgiven. We, would, we wouldn't reject the letter from the mortgage company, would we? Let's not reject this, this grace either. If you're carrying a debt with you that you can't repay, we want you to bring it up. 
you, you can do it right where you're sitting. I, it doesn't matter. But if you want to pray up here, if the elders are here, I'm here. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. But don't leave this room, don't leave this building until you have placed all that debt in the hands of Jesus because he has, he has paid that for you. And you owe it no more. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for forgiving us. We thank you so much for the saving blood of Jesus. We thank you so much that you have made a way to heaven for us and it has nothing to do with how good I am. It has everything to do with how good you are. God, so many religions, it's all about uh, what I can do to make it to heaven. But God, uh, here, as we look at you, we look at your word, we look at the cross, it's about what you've already done for us to make it into heaven. And God, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for the gift of salvation through the, through, through, uh, the cross. And God, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has a debt, has a sin that they're holding on to, that they haven't let go, God, we just pray that they, they don't walk out of here holding on to it anymore. That they would be able to release that debt into your hands. We pray that in Jesus' name. Walk up on.
God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your your, uh, your love for us. And may we just stand here and, and, and offer ourselves to you as the song said, God. But may not that may, may that not leave, uh, stay here, God. May we take that with us. God, we pray for our sister here this morning that, that came up to, to kneel before you. We pray for uh, um, for everything in her heart, everything in her life that... Uh, She's bringing to you, God. We just we pray for her. And God, I pray for this church uh, as they're seeking uh, their next minister. God, we do pray that you would provide. And we know you will. We know you will. God, we give you all the glory. God, we, we celebrate the fact that our sin, our debt has been canceled. But let us take that out to the streets now. Let us take that message to those who don't know it. And let them know that they don't have to carry that anymore. They can lay it at the foot of the cross. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.